The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You'll notice that the title of today's message is Living on a Prayer. How many Bon Jovi fans in the house? Come on, you read it, right? You read it and you knew it. You're like, oh, there it is. There it is. I was an 80s child. What can I say? I grew up in the 80s. You know, it was just, it was appropriate. It was appropriate. But uh, today we're talking about prayer. Today we're talking about prayer. I think it's important sometimes to review Corporate, uh, corporations do this, companies do this, they do ongoing training. Uh, but what's interesting about some of the, the companies that, that really succeed, they don't just do training of new material. They train the same stuff, but what they mostly train is the values and the practices of what make the company successful. <clears throat> because they know that to deeply ingrain those values into the organization is what makes the organization strong. Now, as Christians, as Christ followers in the church, I think it's important to do that as well. We oftentimes need to come back, drill down on our values and our practices to make us who we are. Today we're going to talk prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, you'll see uh, Jesus is teaching on prayer. I want you to know this morning, uh, biblically, theologically, I believe that Jesus Christ is an authority on prayer. Do you? When we talk about what is prayer and how do we pray, I just, I think it's enough. I think, I think that this is it. Now we have... Uh, other parts. I'm not saying that we don't listen to prayer in the epistles and those kinds of things. <clears throat> but in terms of what prayer is and how we pray, Jesus is an authority. Now, I've noticed over the years that um, most Christians, if I'm honest, most Christians, when we talk about the disciplines of our life, Bible study, prayer, um, in particular those two, most Christians I talk to, uh, if we were talking over coffee, say something to this effect to me. They usually say something like, I don't pray as much as I should. Or I don't really pray as I should. I don't pray about the things that I should. I'm I'm not a very good prayer. Rarely, rarely do I ever meet a person, and if I were to say, hey, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your walk with God. Rarely do I hear them say to me, my prayer life is amazing. I pray all the time. And maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you'd admit that you're kind of the first that if we were sitting over coffee together and I was going to say, hey, tell me about your walk with God. Tell me, tell me about your walk with Christ. That you might say to me, well, Jim, I don't really pray like I should. I really don't pray as often as I should or about the things that I should. Um, so, so maybe it's good for us to do that review today about what prayer is. So let's take a look at our Bibles. Let's read what Jesus has to say about prayer. And we'll see if we can't take this away and strengthen our worship relationship with him. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, and when you pray, like I should stop there right now. It doesn't say if you pray, does it? It says and when. So we're, we're assuming that we're praying. That's what we have to begin to assume. So a quick, quick point of application. We're like five seconds into the passage. Uh, if you're not praying, you got to start praying to learn to pray. Okay? You got to start learning. So he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, there is a second time, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. Okay, so what is Jesus teaching as he talks about our prayer life and what we ought not do and what we should do? First thing that we discover in his teaching this morning is that prayer is a personal and relational connection between you and God. It is a personal and relational connection between you and God. He's talking about these hypocrites here. Let's look at these hypocrites. Uh, Nobody likes to be called a hypocrite. It's a pretty offensive word. But let's see what's happening. He says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Okay, is it, is it wrong to pray in church? Say it out loud. No, of course not. Is it wrong to pray on a street corner? No, it's not wrong to do that. But what were they doing? They were standing to pray in these places so that they may be seen by others. Their intention wasn't connection, was it? It wasn't personal. It wasn't relational. It wasn't connective to God. It was a show. These people were praying as a way of proclaiming to everybody else around them, do you see just how spiritual I am? And so Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And the reward is the accolade of other people. But what Christ is teaching us is that why we pray really, really matters. It's a connection with God. There's a connection with us and Christ. The Holy Spirit is what links our ability to be able to talk to God and to listen to God. Prayer needs to be connective first and foremost. There's two major reasons why we pray. And the first is this. We pray because we have a desire to connect with our God. That should be a desiring thing for us. When we pray, we can pray in habit. We can pray out of duty. And and I'm going to address that in just a few moments because I don't think that that's all bad. We oftentimes uh, get a bad rap. And sometimes folks will want to be so organic and so um, natural in their expressions to God that if anything is not natural or organic, then they don't do it. Because, well, you know, God doesn't want me just to give him something that I'm not really feeling. Well, that's not true either. Habitual prayer is really good, and we'll look at that in a minute. But the very first reason that we should come together to pray is from an earnest desire to connect with God. See, Jesus Christ, through the cross, he bridged the gap between man and God. The chasm was so big, it was so vast, there was no possible way for man to get to God. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, right, to earth to die on a cross. He says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, part of the bridging of the gap of the cross is that we get to pray. We're not just saved by grace. We pray in grace. And when we pray, we need to reflect on the goodness of our relationship with God. We should reflect on that. We should reflect on what it means to be in his presence, what it means to be in his watch care. Second, we need to pray uh, because we have needs that only he can meet. Mentioning that chasm between God and man here. So he, eternally he bridged that gap between the cross, didn't he? He bridged it with the cross. But on this planet, we still have a tremendous amount of needs. How many of you would say today, by the raising of your hands, that you have a need that you need God for in your life today? That should be every hand in the room, right? We all have a need that, that only God can accomplish. Something that only God can fill. And so we pray personally, relationally, connectedly because we desire him and we love him, but also because we have the needs that only he can meet. Now, there is a difference between habitual prayer and mechanical prayer. 
habitual prayer and mechanical prayer. Paul says to the, Thessalon- uh, to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. He says in another place, he says, pray in the spirit at all times with all prayers and all supplications. <clears throat> okay, so we need to pray constantly. Prayer is a discipline. Everybody say out loud the word discipline. It's a discipline. It is okay that prayer is a discipline. It is okay that, that we have to work at coming to God in prayer. Uh, I will just tell you, <clears throat> my beloved wife is a very good prayer. And as long as she's been a believer, as long as I've known her, she, she just prays. If you were to ask my wife, are you praying? She'll go, yeah. I'm like, duh, aren't you? She just prays all the time about everything. Anytime I bring up anything, she says, yeah, I've been praying about that. I'm like, yeah, you pray about everything. I'm convinced that I'm probably not so far off the reservation because she's prayed for me. Full disclosure, I am not a natural prayer. It's not natural in me who I am. It's discipline. I have to discipline myself to come before the Father and pray relationally. But listen to what I've discovered. The more that I discipline myself to come to God and to connect to God and to bring my needs to God, the more that I enjoy it. So the older I grow, the the discipline begins to be replaced by the joy of being in God's presence. It's really, really a beautiful thing. So don't misunderstand that that habitual prayer is bad. It's not bad. It's beautiful. You should make it a daily practice. And if you can, I think it's good to take a daily time that you say, this is when I pray today. Now, it doesn't mean that you say amen and then never pray outside of that daily time. But it's good to make that a habit of our lives because we connect with him. Number two, God already knows every detail of your life. So when you pray, get to it. When you pray, get to it. I didn't want to put some overly spiritual thing here that says, you know, when you pray, you know, be direct and honest with the heavenly hosts of thine father. Get to it. Just get to it. We need to pray. Here's what he says. Verse six. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father. There's the connection who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're supposed to go, go to a room, shut the door. It's not a literal. The idea is carve out space. That's the idea. The picture is carve out concerted focused time between you and God. But he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Some of your Bibles might say vain repetitions. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Vain repetitions, empty phrases. What they were doing is they're just, just trying to pray these lavish lines, these, these repetitions, these words that they thought would uh, usher in the favor of God. The Jews actually had a maxim that said this, everyone who multiplies prayer is heard. So they would practice this repetition of what they considered to be, what we would consider to be empty phrases because it didn't really mean anything. It lost its value in that. Okay, repetition is not a bad thing. Sometimes modern worship gets a really bad rap. They go, oh, you repeat it too much. It's just too many things repeated. Well, I hate to break it to you if that's you, but the Bible tells us that in Revelation, tells us at the throne of God, the heavenly host of angels never stop singing day in and day out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen? Amen. How often do they do it? Over and over and over and over again. So if you're bored by singing the praises of God because it's too repetitive, I would encourage you to reflect on Revelation because we're going to sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty for all eternity. And it will never get bored. In Matthew 26... 
Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And so remember the story. He goes to the garden. He tells the disciples, stay here and pray. And then he goes and then he comes back to the disciples. And how does he find them? What are they doing? They're sleeping. How many of you can relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be all spiritual. When it's dark, Jim's ready to go to bed. I'm just, when the sun goes down, boosh, I'm out. You know, I'm not a late night person. So I can relate. The Bible says that three times Jesus came back to check on him. You know what it says in verse 44? In verse 44, it says that three times Jesus prayed the exact same words over to the Father. Jesus repeated himself. He repeated the same prayer over and over and over to the Father. So, so the repetition alone is not what makes the, the, the prayer not genuine. It's the empty phrasing behind it. It's not It's the empty phrasing behind it. So I uh, drove a 1981 AMC Eagle Wagon in high school. I have a picture for you right there. Oh, come on. Isn't that a piece of artwork? Is that not breathtaking? I mean, look at the rims. The intricate detail in the rims. I drove, that was, it was a different car, but same color. That, that was the car I drove in high school. Now, uh, this was a great car. It had one of those ignition systems where you didn't even need the key. You just turned it and it started. Probably, apparently it had been stolen so many times it didn't need a key. The back hatch was broke. The four-wheel drive was out of it. I mean, it was just a rough car. It had crushed velvet seats. Yeah, it was good. It was a good car. I loved it. I could pile my friends into it. It was a great car. So we called that car a Rolls Canardly. Do you know what a Rolls Canardly is? The car rolls down one hill, can hardly get up the next. That's how this car was. It, was. it had no power. I mean, when you're ready to just sort of get ready for a hill, you'd mash on the gas and go, and it just it took forever to get there. And no matter how much sort of you wind this motor up, I'd be doing 45 miles an hour going up a little hill. It had no power. I had to gain momentum to get there. I had to really push on the gas to get there. Listen, so many of us pray the same way. Okay, uh, we're going to pray to the Lord. So we say, uh, dear Lord, thank you for this day, because you're supposed to thank him for the day. You may hate that day. You may would give $1,000 in your right arm to, get, to, to let that day be gone and start tomorrow. But you're supposed to say, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for this cheeseburger that increased my, increased my cholesterol. Uh, you're supposed to say, Lord, thank you for the rain, even though you hate it. And we wind up our prayers. We feel like we have to ease in. We have to say all these nice things about God in order to get him to hear us, right? God, you're really, really good. And we think that you're really, really cool and really special. But do we mean it? We have to examine, do we mean it? And sometimes we try to wind up our prayers so we can hit the hill. Because we have some things that we're really wanting to pray about. But we know, you know, we're not supposed to just rush into the presence of God. You know, God knows what's going on in your life. The scripture says right here in verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask it. So when we sit down to pray, God knows that thing that burdens your heart. He knows the things that gives you anxiety. He knows the things that keeps you awake at night. He knows the prayers that you're longing for God to answer. He knows all of those things. We don't need to sort of soften God up and butter him up with sort of these platitudes that we think that God's going to listen to us more. We can get right to it. We're going to get to the Lord's Prayer in just a moment. And there's some, some, some aspects of our prayer that need to be a part of it, some components. But God knows everything you need. And when, when, he wants, when we connect with God as our Savior and, and, and as the Lord of our life, 
and we come before him, we can bring what we need. We can come before God. And if you really do praise him for the cheeseburger in the rain, praise him for the cheeseburger in the rain. But don't just say words that don't mean anything. Don't try to butter God up. Get to it. Pray about what's on your heart. Pray about his glory. Pray about his goodness because it matters and he listens. Number three, God rewards genuine prayer. God rewards genuine prayer. He says in verse six, when you go to your room, shut the door, pray to your father. There's a relational connection. And it says your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now listen, don't don't take this too far. This doesn't literally mean that you can only pray by going to your own room and shutting the door. That is a great place to do it. But that's not, that's not the, the point is not that you, that you have to go and do this and shut your door and lock it and you know whatever else. The point is that you carve out concerted space to pray genuinely to your father. To pray genuinely to your father. That might mean that you get in your car and shut the door and go for a drive and you can pray peacefully and alone point is he rewards when we connect with him rightly out of a right heart and out of a genuine heart look at uh, matthew chapter 7 turn over one more chapter matthew 7 beginning in verse 7 matthew 7 verse 7 he says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, are going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God delights to give us good things. God delights to give good gifts to his children. And listen to me very carefully. He delights in answering your prayers. He delights in it. We sometimes struggle with this because we think that what the Bible is saying, whatever we ask, anything we want, he's obligated to give it to me because I pray in Jesus' name. No, he's not. He says, ask. He says right here, everyone who asks receives. It didn't say what you receive. It didn't say that you're going to receive exactly what you prayed for, specifically verbatim, no matter the heart or the intent. He just simply says, I'm going to respond. I'm going to receive. When you seek, you find. And when you knock, the door will be open. God rewards genuine prayer. He answers prayer. The problem is, most of the time, we get frustrated when God doesn't answer our prayers with a yes answer. We want God to answer specifically here And when he doesn't say yes, we question his goodness. We think, well, he doesn't even listen. He's not really paying attention to my prayers because he didn't answer the prayer. He answered it. God's either going to say yes, he's going to say no, or he's going to say not right now. But this is where our faith comes in. If you want to pray in faith, you know what the prayer in faith means? It means that we relinquish our will and we submit it to his will. So that means that you might say, God, this is my desire. This is my prayer. He might say Not right now. He might say no, but he might say yes. Listen, God is up to so many incredible kingdom things in your life right now that every single prayer that you pray has layers that you can't see. You cannot see the layers. 
God sees the layers. So when he says no to something that you earnestly desire, could it be that God knows the layers that he needs to work in? And he might not say yes to this because he's doing other work here for his kingdom, for his sake, for his glory, and for your sanctification. If God said yes to everything that you asked, you wouldn't grow much in your faith, would you? Because you would begin to trust God. Listen to this. Don't miss this. You would trust God only for what he can do for you, not for who he is. We pray and we worship and we trust for who God is, not what he does for us. Can you nod your heads if you get what I'm talking about here? God is not our genie in a bottle. God is not obligated to say yes to everything that we say. A right prayer submits to his glory because of who he is. When we trust his character, we trust his answer, even when we don't like it. It's what it is. We trust his character even when we don't like it. Let's get to the Lord's Prayer, shall we? We're going to get to the Lord's Prayer. So these are the three principles that we look at this morning. God wants to relationally connect to, uh, to us. We can connect to him in prayer. When we pray, we don't need to butter him up. We can get right to it. We recognize that God rewards genuine prayer, and it's worth doing. So how ought we pray? The Lord's Prayer. One of the big questions and perhaps even debates uh, over the Lord's Prayer is, is it a model prayer or is it a form prayer? Meaning, is it a prayer that we're supposed to recite verbatim or is it a form of the components that make up our prayer? The answer to that is yes. I think it is beautiful and appropriate to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. I've done it many times and I promise you I will do it thousands more until the Lord comes back or I go to meet him. The problem becomes if we recite it as sort of this habit that it loses its meaning. It will become an empty phrase or a vain repetition. The repetition is not the, the bad part. It's the vain part of the repetition. So it's not bad to pray the Lord's Prayer. I think it's great to pray. But if you find yourself saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come and it will be done on earth. You're not praying. You're just speaking words. You're just wasting oxygen. So it's okay to pray if you mean it. But I also do believe that these are some key components that are meant to make up our prayer life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through this very briefly, and I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to, during our response time, we're going to pray together. We're going to practice what we just were been reminded of today. So let's start at the beginning. He says in verse 9, pray this way. Our Father in in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread, uh, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's take a look at the prayer that Jesus, the authority on prayer, is teaching us. Number one, he says, our Father in heaven. When we pray, we ought to acknowledge That he is in heaven, he is our father, the father of our life, the creator of our life. He is in heaven and I'm on earth. A a component of your prayer has got to be an acknowledgement of the the, the vastness between his power and his glory in my frailty and my weakness. We've got to acknowledge that. We've got to acknowledge that he is the one that's in heaven and I am the one that is on earth. It's a very, uh, it's a real humbling phrase. It ought to be a humbling phrase. Our Father in heaven. Then he says, hallowed be your name. This word for hallowed means a reverence, a holiness, 
a respect. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in God. And when we pray, we ought to acknowledge that there's reverence to be had there. A number of years ago, there was uh, this this, uh, fad, I guess you could say, among young people. And I want you to know, I get it. I totally get it. And it was that Jesus is my homeboy. And wear the hat and wear the t-shirt, had a picture of Jesus' face and said, Jesus is my homeboy. Now listen, I want want to be understanding of of the younger generation as well. I get the concept, okay? Uh, the, The common vernacular, the common slang, the common phrase, if someone was your homeboy, they were close. You had a tight relationship. You were, you were great friends. I love that. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend to sinners. It says that he's closer than a brother. I understand that. But where I wrestled with that was that Jesus is to be revered and honored and glorified. He's not my knuckle bump homeboy. You get what I'm talking about? So I get the essence behind it, but we need to help our young people sort of grow up past that and understand what that is. He's not just our homeboy that doesn't mean anything. It's just our bro to bro down with. He's he's our God. He's, He's to be revered. He's to be respected. He's to be bowed before. Hallowed be your name. We don't use it flippantly. Hallowed be your name. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11. Let me read it for you this morning. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Everybody say amen. Amen. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. We don't use that word enough in church. It means praise the Lord. There's power in the name of Jesus. Do you ever wonder why people only curse in Jesus' name, not the, not the founder of any other religion? Because there's power, power in that name. We pray, hallowed be your name. Number three, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. It's an acknowledgement and our desire, our, our earnest desire that God's presence, his kingdom would come. Because we can't go to him, can we? We can't just sort of climb up to heaven today and go visit and come back for the afternoon. We're desiring God's kingdom, his presence, his power come down to us. It's a deep, worshipful desire. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not only do we desire God's presence, God's kingdom, we actually then desire his will. This is where it gets a little bit more convicting, doesn't it? Because we want our will. We want our will to be done. We want it to be exactly as we see this prayer so beautifully submissive to, to, uh, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because we're saying we want your kingdom. We want your will to be done. Not our will. Your will to be done. It's so much the way he says, on earth as it is in heaven. So much that we desire God's will to be done here just like heaven. How is the will done? How is the will of God done in heaven? Because everything revolves around him. Everything. There is nothing in all of heaven, in all of the city of heaven, the city of glory, Zion, that does not point to the glory of God. Everything is about God. Everything is about him. When we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, make my life such that in everything... You get the glory. 
In everything I do, may you be considered. May you be the center. May you be the source of everything that I do. Because everything in heaven is about God. You know what that means? That means it's not about me. It means that no longer does my life exist for me. No longer do I live my life as the center of my own universe. It's a hunger, it's a desire of our life that it ought to be saturated with the presence and the glory of God. Don't you want your life to be all about Jesus and not about yourself? That's what it means to pray. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next, he says we have to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a recognition of God's provision. It's praying for God's provision. Sometimes we think as good Americans, we think, well, I'm the one that got trained. I'm the one that went to college and passed. I'm the one that got the job. I'm the one that worked hard and got the promotion. I'm the one that invested wisely. I'm the one that budgeted appropriately. I'm the one that spent the money the way it is. So look at all of this stuff that I have. I have gotten this far from my hard work. Let me be as clear as I can be. God gave you every nickel that you have. If you had the ability to be trained and to work and to get a promotion, God did that in your life. And if you don't believe me, go read Job. God took it away that fast. If you think you are your own provider, watch how fast God can take it away if he wants to. God gave you everything. Everything that you have is his. Do you acknowledge it in your prayers? God, thank you for everything. We try really hard in our house to thank the Lord for heat and for air conditioning and a safe home and for beds to sleep in. I try try to pray about every little thing I can thank God for with my kids so that my kids know that everything we have is a gift from God. You know what that does, by the way? It keeps us from hoarding it for ourselves. Some of you get really offended if somebody asks to borrow something. Why? It's God's. He's the provider. He's the provider. Next, he says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. As sinners, we have a debt before God, don't we? We have a debt before God. And he has forgiven us in Christ Jesus when we put our faith and our trust in him and we repent of our, of our sin and we turn to him. So you might say, well, why do we pray, forgive us our debts? Didn't Jesus accomplish forgiveness for past sins, present sins, and future sins? Absolutely, he did on the cross. He did that. But when we pray, Lord, forgive us of our debts, it's an acknowledgement Every day, it's an acknowledgement that we need his forgiveness. Because when we stop praying and confessing our sin before God, we start forgetting how sinful we are. And when we begin to forget how sinful we are, we begin to forget how big God's grace is. And we begin to forget who we are compared to the grace and the glory of God and what he's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. We ought to pray, forgive us our debts. We ought to ask forgiveness for our sins. Next, he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Look back at verse 14 and 15. He says this, continuing on. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now listen, I wish I had more time to talk about this today, but I want to create enough time for us to be able to pray diligently before the Father. Let me say it to you this way. This is not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is not saying that our forgiveness before God is completely contingent upon forgiving others. If that were to be the case, then we have just now jumped into a works-based theology. 
I am saved by grace through faith. This is not of my own. Amen? Amen. So what is he saying? He's saying that when we've been forgiven by Jesus, when we've let him wash us clean through his shed blood on the cross, the only natural response is a willingness to forgive other people. It is hypocritical. It is wrong and hypocritical to receive the forgiveness when we have knowingly offended God, but not give that forgiveness to someone else who may or may not have knowingly offended you. We hold this unforgiveness as if it is our right to do so. And again, I don't have time to get too deep into this, but I want you to understand this as we move forward. Forgiveness contaminates, or rather uh, unforgiveness contaminates your prayer life. It hinders your prayer life. It contaminates it because the hypocrisy fights with, these, with ourselves. You don't want to come to God and pray when you'll receive his forgiveness, but you won't give it out. That's hypocrisy. That doesn't work. We need to be willing to let the grace of God grow in us and through us. Now, yes, it's a process at times, and yes, it takes time. But we need to be willing to forgive just as he has forgiven us because your unforgiveness is contaminating your heart. Unforgiveness leads to malice, or rather to bitterness. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to malice, and malice always leads to action. Let me say that one more time. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to malice, which means that we desire uh, uh, destruction on somebody. And malice always leads to action. You might say, well, I just, I'll never forgive that person. I just can't ever forgive them, and it's just inside my heart. No, it is not. I promise you, you will manifest that hatred and that bitterness someday, if you haven't already. You will say something that's inappropriate. You will do something to hurt that person. You will manifest that someday. We've got to let God heal and God change because you know what? My sin was offensive to Christ, yet he died for me and forgave. So we need to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. It is no small thing that two times in Jesus' explanation of prayer does he say, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. It contaminates our prayers. Maybe you're here this morning and you just have not had a connected prayer life for a long time with God. I might ask you this morning, Who are you refusing to forgive today? Your unforgiveness doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. Maybe you need to forgive for the sake of your prayers. Lastly, let's read the last line. Verse 13. He says that we have to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1.13 says, Let no one say he is tempted, that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what does Jesus mean when he says that we ought to pray, lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil? Here's the simple way I can explain it. My heart is exceedingly dark and wicked. It's what it is. Sin is a part of my human design. It's part of what I fell into when I chose to sin just like Adam and Eve. Because of that, I'm always going to be tempted to sin. There's sins that I'm tempted to do. I don't need somebody else to really lead me into that. I'm going to be drawn away by my own heart. So it's not that God tempts us. It's that we say, God, lead me away from my my temptation. God, direct me away because I'm not strong enough to direct myself away at times. 
pull me away and lead me away from this and deliver me from evil. We ought to pray daily, consistently, sometimes to the minute, friends, for, for God to lead us away from the temptation. You say, well, I don't really pray much for the temptation. I guess I just sort of, you know, clench my fist and try really hard. How's that working for you? It's probably not working very well because I know I've tried it myself too. But I've also discovered that when I'm unwilling to pray, when I'm not willing to pray and say, God, lead me away from my temptation, deliver me from evil. You know what that is telling me, uh, the Lord? It's telling the Lord that I like my sin. Because if you're not praying that God steers you away from sin and temptation, it might be because you like it. Because you know that if you pray, that is the will of God, your sanctification. If we pray and we ask God to steer us away from temptation, guess what? He's going to do it. But that ought to be a portion of our prayers, shouldn't it? That we pray and ask God to steer us away from our temptation. Sin matters. Sin is important. Sin is destructive. And we need God's power to go away from that. So listen, I told you this is just a quick survey of the Lord's Prayer and these these aspects of our prayer. So we're going to practice it in just a minute. But before we do that, I'm actually going to ask you to go ahead right now, grab your worship folder. It's a beautiful thing before the Father when we kneel and we pray before Him. And I want to invite you just to take a moment to do that. You, you may not have this great catastrophe in your life. Just come pray. Pray for our church. Pray for our country. Pray for a lost loved one. Pray for that sin that's in your life. Just pray because you love Jesus. But I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment and to come forward. and Just take a minute. Just pray. You can say a short prayer and then go back to your seat. But let's dedicate our time in prayer as we do that. Father, thank you for teaching us through your son Jesus how to pray. May we be faithful to pray knowing you hear us and knowing you reward, Father. Lead us in this short prayer time of response and we pray it in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to, to be able to pray, whether we're sitting and praying or kneeling up front and praying, Father. Our prayer today is humble. It's turning our full attention to you, our full submission to you. And I pray, Father, that we would connect to you in prayer so that your glory, your kingdom may come and be done right here at Emmanuel and in my heart and the lives of my friends here, Father. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please, Father, will you do this for your name's sake to be glorified. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.